Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Hello, welcome to Emotional Badass, where Moxie meets Mindful. I'm Nikki Eisenhower, life coach and psychotherapist and your host. And on today's episode, we are discussing grief, depression, and I'm offering a new lens and a simple tool. I want to talk about grief and depression because it's something that no other healthcare practitioner over the course of my life has been able to put together for me. And I've had to put it together myself. And over the years, me connecting these dots for clients has accelerated their healing. And I want to offer this episode to help you potentially connect some dots that you've never been able to connect before. Grief is a very natural process. And there are reasons that we grieve. Many of us are familiar with Kubler-Ross's five stages of grief, denial, anger, depression, bargaining, and acceptance. And I don't want to go into what those are and breaking those down. If you are on a self-development path, a lot of you have studied this. If you are a therapist or a life coach or a social worker and you're in the field of healing, you're probably familiar with the five stages of grief. They're everywhere in our common vernacular. But what I want to say is that as a profession, as a healthcare profession, and as a people, we don't have a lot of understanding of grief. You probably thought that I was going to talk about death because I'm talking about grief. That is a very limited understanding of grief that we have as a people. Grief is one of my specialties because in my first job out of college, it was a requirement that I had to get into a rotation to teach the public. Every therapist on staff taught a lecture to the public, to family members of people that were in residential addiction treatment. The topic that I chose was grief because I'm from New Orleans, because we have a very different relationship with grief than many other Americans. Now, of course, you know, I joke about it a lot. Of course, being from Louisiana, being from New Orleans, we have a lot of dysfunctional stuffing of feelings. As a culture, we drink and we eat to cover up how we feel. 
That's sort of the dysfunctional side of the grief coin. The functional side of the grief coin is that we party, we have jazz funerals, we laugh, we cry, we tell stories, we remember, we enjoy, we celebrate, and we party. I want to get beyond talking about death and grief in this episode. So just put death aside for a second. I'm going to share with you a list of some, it's not an extensive list, but some of the things that I have lost and I have had to process through grief. Now, across my life, what has happened to me in healthcare is that different healthcare practitioners would be able to look at me and say, Nikki, you are depressed. They weren't wrong. But the part that they missed was that I was in tremendous grief. And many of you out there, survivors, HSPs, empaths, many of you are in grief without knowing it. As I share my list of things that I've grieved with you, I hope that it will open up listing as a tool for you in your recovery and your self-development work, that by hearing the things that I have grieved, it will start to connect some dots about some ways that you may be grieving, and that's a very different lens than labeling people as depressed, depressive, because that's depressing, Grief is a natural process. The reason that we have denial in the stages of grief is because we can't fully process the entirety of a loss in a single second. So we don't deny consciously to be stubborn. We don't deny saying, I don't want to do this work. I'm not dealing with this loss right now. Surely that can happen, but that's not what we mean when we talk about denial. Denial is a psychological process that protects us, that allows us to take little bites so that we don't choke trying to shove an entire grief cake into our face. We have to be able to take little bites, little digestible pieces of process so that our brains don't fry. Anger is part of grief because it's the most powerful way that we show our hurt. That's why wounded animals in the wild, or even if you've your pet dog, if you've ever seen a dog that's hit by a car, an animal in pain, an animal that is vulnerable, an animal that is wounded, an animal that has lost health, that has lost physical function, is terrified. And they snarl and they snap and they bite. They look angry. That's, that's the safest way that we can try to cover up our vulnerability when we're in pain. That's part of why anger is a part of our grief process. Depression is often anger turned inward. Depression is part of our grieving process, particularly because we don't really know how to move through it very well. And so our sadness at loss turns inward and depresses our entire system. Bargaining is a part of grief that confuses a lot of people. That's the stage that people don't really understand what bargaining is. If you have ever sort of fallen to your knees and begged God or a higher power for just one more chance with someone, or if you've tried to strike a deal 
A lot of people do this in addiction, right? That, oh, I'll never drink again if you just let me see my kids one more time. And we make deals. We bargain with ourselves, with the universe, with God. I made bargains when I lost my grandmother with God that I just, I wanted to see her again. I wanted to give her a grandchild. I was 16. That didn't make any sense. That was illogical. I sort of knew that at the time. But that's the bargaining stage. That's when we are so hurt and in so much pain. We're trying to find some sort of sense of control. If I do this thing, can I have this other thing? We're bargaining. Acceptance is what we think of as the last or the final stage of grief. But it's not a final stage. We don't move through these stages of grief in a complete fashion. We don't check denial and then anger and then depression and then bargaining off the list and then get to acceptance. We ping pong all around because we take a little bit of bitty bite of our grief process and we learn how to accept that. And then we bite off another piece of our grief process until we integrate and learn how to accept that. My specialty isn't grief, it's grief work. And what most Americans, in my opinion, know how to do when it comes to grieving is they know how to stuff it and pretend like they're okay as the world moves on because they think that's what the world wants and expects and we try to meet that expectation. And then we wonder why we internalize so much darkness and depression. Would you like to relax or fall asleep? while learning about pivotal moments in history? If so, then try my new podcast, Calm History. It's a time machine of tranquility filled with immersive and fascinating stories from history. Prior episodes include The Pilgrims, Marco Polo, Henry Ford, Joan of Arc, Jackie Robinson, Klondike Gold Rush, Ancient Greek Olympics, Easter Island, and the Great Pyramid of Giza. There's also a six-part series about the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to calmhistory.com. Now, this is not an extensive grief list that I'm going to give you. And I'm not going to talk about some of the biggest, most obvious griefs, like my parents' divorce, the nuclear family. I feel like those are sort of obvious for seekers. If you've miscarried a baby, that's an obvious loss. If you've divorced and lost a marriage, if you've lost a house in a hurricane, these are sort of the obvious tangibles that we can see that we very much know consciously are losses. I'm going to talk about the more subtle losses. So yeah, they might not sound very major, but these are things that I have had to acknowledge to myself. I've had to connect the dots and offer myself compassion and understanding as I have increased my awareness over the years that I have not been a depressive person. I have not been someone who suffers from endless depression. I have been someone who has grieved a lot. And maybe you have had healers accidentally, maybe even very well-intentioned healers who have given you the message that you are a depressive person. And I buck that. I fight that. 99.9% of the people that I've seen 
over my career, that is an unfair label. That is a depressing label. That is a stuck, you are broken and unfixable way of looking at it. So I offer this lens of grief. One of the things that I had to face that I lost was something that in my early life I never had to begin with. Stability. By the end of second grade, I was in my third school. That means I lost community. I lost friendly faces. I lost connection to teachers that held me in a very motherly way. I lost a sense of contentedness and safety that my surroundings would be stable for a certain amount of time. I've had to face grieving that I didn't really get to have a childhood. I progressed through each age, just like any of you listening. I had birthdays, but I felt the awfulness of my parents' prolonged War of the Roses type divorce. Because my mother is a narcissist and a sociopath, I felt the absence of a mother's love, and I grieved that hard. In that awareness that we were underloved, undercared for, underseen, underunderstood, underconsidered, I took on the job and the role of trying to fill in a mothering energy for my siblings. I'd take them with me to go to the library. I very much felt pressured and responsible to keep them under my wing and to protect them as I hadn't been protected. It doesn't mean that I was successful at being able to protect them from anything. But in giving myself that job to be a mini adult as a small child, I lost a carefree, naturally developing childhood. In a lot of ways, that was enough to take a lot of innocence, a lot of naivety away from me. I lost that, my innocence. And in some ways, that was lost well before I had a sexual abuser in my life. When we are sexually abused as children, what is often lost is the freedom and the ability to have our own natural sexual awakening and development. That is a huge loss to wonder, who might I have been? How might I have developed sexually had this not happened? And in the culmination of many of these losses, I lost self-worth. And as I acted out and rebelled and had some chaotic adolescent and young adult years, I have to admit I lost a lot of my self-respect. I lost self-care. I had never found it. I had never had self-care to begin with. In watching the authority figures of my childhood, my parents, my aunts and uncles, other adults that were around the family. I lost trust and I lost respect in the people that I respected and trusted the most. There is a profound loneliness and aloneness that comes from awakening within a family of people who refuse to awaken. It is its own kind of aloneness and its own kind of grieving, its own kind of loss. Because I was taught value systems 
that no longer resonate with me and did not resonate with me as they were taught to me, I've had to lose the values that I was taught because being from Southern Louisiana, I was most definitely taught to be racist, to be anti-LGBTQ, that Catholicism was the only religion and everyone else was going to hell, that you lost something when you were no longer a virgin and had sex. I had to lose all of those value systems that were taught to me to find myself. Those are good things that I lost. I am so happy I lost those things. But it wasn't easy to feel so other than and to not have mentorship and guidance to have to fumble and find my way through what it was to repair those false, faulty, wrong things that I had been taught in setting the boundaries that I've needed to create safe space for me to heal and to grow and to disallow toxic dysfunction in my life. I have lost almost all family members. I have lost connection with nieces and nephews. I have lost my siblings that I loved from a mothering place and a sibling place. I've lost cousins, friendships. One of the major things I have lost from all of this is the teaching that if I was a good girl and did good things, that good things would happen. I think a lot of highly sensitive people are grieving this message without realizing it. I have had to grieve how much I am an idealist and learn how to let go of those ideals. And that's hard. My inner child wanted a nuclear family so badly. She wanted that vision of a mom and a dad and two happy kids. And in finding myself and who I truly am instead of who I was taught to be, who I was told to be, who I was told I couldn't be, I've had to let go of those ideals and ground myself in who I am, who I want to be. When we are on the seeker's path, there is so much that is lost. And I don't want to lose this episode Being scared of only showing you this side of the coin and starting to talk about everything I've gained. I've gained so much. We'll talk about that in future episodes. But this episode is about loss. It has only been in me being able to see the fullness of what I've lost that I have been able to repair, restore, refill, and grow myself into what I have always deserved. And to what you have always deserved, it's what everyone deserves. Peace, serenity, joy, lightness, love, unconditional love for myself. Unconditional love that I now know how to give. I didn't know how to give that from my family system. And I know how to receive that love. Professionals out there. I urge you to use the lens of grief. What are your clients grieving? What have they lost? Help them connect the dots. If you have been confused by your own depressive episodes, your own symptoms, 
You know, many of us, we get to a certain amount of okay. This comes up a lot for clients in my current world. This has been a theme for the last few months. That we hold this ideal of once I get out of school, once I get this job, once I get my student loans paid off, once I get to this idealized point in life, then I'll kind of be okay and I'll be able to exhale. And then people get to that point and they have this moment. Why am I still a little depressed? There's nothing that should be making me depressed right now. And you're not wrong, except you are. We don't know as a society and as a people how to acknowledge the deeper layers. On the surface, there's nothing to be depressed about in the present moment if you've gotten where you've always wanted to be. But underneath, that may be the first time you have enough security, enough stability, enough support to allow this old, stuffed, unacknowledged grief to come to the surface. I don't want to miss this in this episode, so I'm going to throw it in now. I should have talked about it earlier. Because of the harshness around God that I was raised with, I lost my own intuitive, innate connection to a higher being. I didn't know how to trust it. So for many years, I lost a connection to God, to the universe, to myself, to my intuition. When we start to connect the dots of what we've lost, it gives us great insight into what we're repairing and the voids and the holes that it is our task now to fill. And that's part of why we have anger and grief, because it pisses us off that after all this pain, it still sits on our shoulders that we have to do this work and we have to do this healing. It's okay to get angry at that. Just don't stop there. Keep moving through. I promise you there is a point where it all starts to integrate and we start to feel lighter. We must give ourselves the acknowledgement that we didn't have as children, as young adults, or maybe in narcissistic relationships. We cannot fix what we can't name, what we can't see. I hope by me sharing some of my personal grief that you're able to more clearly see the ways that you may be grieving too. As an exercise, I invite you to sit with yourselves. Maybe re-listen to this episode and just sit in silence and see what comes up. You may be surprised to sit with what you've lost, what ideals you are grieving. It's so much deeper than someone dying. Thank you for listening. Thank you for being my marketing team on this show. Every time you share the show, every time you leave a review, you're working that funky iTunes algorithm and you're helping other highly sensitive people, other survivors, other empaths. You're helping them figure out that by facing what is real, what is true, what we've lost, we shift from survival mode to living, to life. Thank you for making the show a success. Thank you for helping others. Thank you for being the change in the world. If you have questions, come find me on patreon.com backslash emotional badass to participate in the live stream and ask a question about this or any other topic under the sun. I want to thank these Patreon supporters of the show. Y'all are our backbone. We appreciate you so much. Thank you, Allison S. Thank you, Priscilla. Thank you, Mary Liz. I'm sending you a big old hug. Thank you, Nancy, Jody, 
Rita, Olive, and Nicole. That community is growing at Patreon. There's something powerful in knowing we are on alone. Thank you for considering grief in your healing journey. Light and love to all of you. I'm an emotional badass. You are an emotional badass. And together we are where Moxie meets Mindful. Take care of yourselves and I'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Would you like to relax or fall asleep while learning about history? If so, then try my podcast, Calm History. You'll learn all about famous explorers, inventions, civilizations, ancient wonders, and even the Titanic. Just search your podcast player for Calm History or go to Calm History dot com.